Life is amazing, and then it's awful, and then it's amazing again. And in between the amazing and the awful, it's ordinary and mundane and routine. Breathe in the amazing, hold on through the awful, and relax and exhale during the ordinary. That's just living, heartbreaking, soul-healing, amazing, awful, ordinary life, and it's breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, well, that quote from the author L.R. Nost sums up what it's like to live life in this world. It's a life full of great contrast. Uh, we have wonderful experiences, enjoying time with our friends and family, exploring the beautiful world in which we live. Uh, but then life can also be horrible, can't it? Uh, someone we love dies. Um, our dreams might end in failure. We, we suffer from illness, from anxiety and stress. Sometimes life just feels hard. And then we look at the world around us. Um, we hear stories of great kindness, of generosity. Uh, we see beautiful works of art, great achievements in science and technology. Uh, but then we see horrible wars. We see children starving, not having enough food. Uh, we see those around the world who exalt themselves, who are proud and willing to trample on anything that gets in their way. Life is full of contrast. And that's exactly what we see here in Isaiah. Uh, just look down at verses 13 and 14. Shout for joy, ye heavens. Rejoice, ye earth. Burst into song, ye mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. I wonder if that's how you sometimes feel. You know you should be praising God, you should be rejoicing. But if you're honest, you don't really feel like it a lot of the time. It maybe feels like God isn't there, like he's abandoned you or has forgotten about you. Um, your life hasn't turned out the way that you wanted. Uh, maybe you just really feel weighed down with, with either your own sin or just living in this world full of sin and the difficulty it brings. And because of all that, you don't feel like rejoicing. Or think about the state of the church around the world. Uh, we know that Jesus has made great promises to us to uh, gather a great people for himself. Um, and there will be a day when thousands upon thousands, uh, great multitudes from all nations will be praising him in a new heaven and new earth. But when we look around the state of the church at the minute, there doesn't seem to be much evidence that that's actually going to happen, not much to back it up. So we see Christians around the world suffering, uh, being persecuted. We see churches being destroyed by false teaching. Uh, we see um, some church leaders just in it for themselves, for personal gain. And think about closer to here, uh, at home, here at Redeemer, um, we've got so many things to be thankful for, haven't we? So many reasons to rejoice. There's so many opportunities to get to know people, to share the gospel. We see new people um, coming to church. We have um, good relationships with one another. Lots of reasons to rejoice. But then not everything is perfect. If we just look at this room, the size of the, the number of people in this room is tiny compared to the population of Chawton. And, and Manchester as a whole. 
uh, we see so many people who have no interest in Jesus, who are just following their own way. And we're left asking, where is God in all this? Why should I sing and rejoice? Well, that's just how the people here in, in Isaiah's day felt. He's speaking to God's people, Israel. Uh, and by this point, the glory days are over. Uh, they used to live in a, a beautiful land uh, with God's presence among them. Uh, but now they'd been defeated by their enemies, by the nations around them. They'd been uprooted from their home and scattered over the whole Middle East. Uh, they were away from their home and away from a lot of their families. But actually, most importantly, they were away from God's presence. They were away from the land, the place of his, his blessing. And what's more, they've actually brought it on themselves. They, they had broken God's commandments. They'd worshipped idols. They'd sinned against God. And even though they'd been warned of the consequences, earlier in, in Isaiah, Isaiah was warning them of the consequences of carrying on in their sin. He said that they would be punished, that God's judgment would come. But even, because of those, even though those warnings were there, they persisted. And then God's judgment came. God had scattered them. But God hadn't finished with them. He'd made a promise to restore them. He made a promise to restore the land, to bring them back to the land. And in these verses, God speaks words of comfort to his people. And we're in a, a similar situation now. This world that we live in is kind of like the wilderness. It's like we're in exile, away from the, the place of God's blessing. Um, that's kind of true in a general sense. We live in a, a fallen world, um, a world tainted by sin. But it's also true in the sense that this world as Christians is not our true home. It's just a temporary home. But we have a, a true home that we're looking forward to, something a lot better. Not, not a kind of going back to a, a physical place called Jerusalem, but no, we belong to the, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. There's a day when Jesus will remake the whole world. Uh, he will bring in the new heavens and new earth. That is our home that we look forward to. But now... We are in exile. We're looking forward to that. But because of, even though God's made all those promises, we still struggle to believe, don't we? We doubt. Um, the world around us doesn't seem like that's, that's going to happen. But God, he is a God of kindness and compassion. And even though we doubt, he comes alongside us in our struggles and he speaks words of comfort to us so that we might rejoice. So how can we rejoice uh, when we doubt, when we feel forsaken? Well, here's the, here's the big headline for today. It's because through Jesus, God is certainly rescuing a people for himself. Through Jesus, God is certainly rescuing a people for himself. Um, and our first point, we're going to look at a, a part of that. Through Jesus, God is rescuing a people for himself. And that's uh, verses 7 to 13. Uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 to 6 and read of this, this servant, this servant who was called Israel, uh, but he was also different from Israel. His job was actually to save and to restore Israel, God's people. But on it, not only that, as well as restoring Israel, he would be a light to the nations so that God's salvation would reach to the end of the earth. 
Uh, and this servant is talking about Jesus. He is the servant spoken of here. And in verses 7 to 13, we have kind of God confirming that job description. Jesus will surely do what God has said he will do. Um, so we look in verse 7. Uh, we see that God, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, has, has chosen Jesus to be his servant. Kings and princes will bow down to him. And then again in verse 8, um, look at verse 8. It says, this is what the Lord says. In the time of my favour, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. Uh, well, that word covenant is, is really important in these verses. And in fact, in the whole Bible, that word covenant, it captures the, the whole storyline of the Bible in one word, really. It describes how God relates to human beings, uh, the promises that he makes to us, and, and how he's going to save us. We, we relate to God and we know him, uh, know him through, the, through the means of a covenant. Uh, so think all the way back to the start uh, of the Bible. God created the world uh, and then he created human beings. He placed Adam and Eve in a, in a beautiful garden. Uh, but then he gave them commands and, and promises. He said if they obeyed him, uh, then they would be able to eat from the tree of life and they'll enjoy eternal fellowship with him. But they blew it, and we blew it with them, uh, Jesus says. We were, we were kicked out of God's presence, alienated from him, and death came into the world. But even straight after that, even in the same chapter that that happened, God made promises to save humanity, to save his people, so you see, even in, even in Genesis chapter 3, God makes a promise to Eve that one of her descendants, one of her offspring, would, would crush the serpent's head, crush the, the work of the devil, of Satan. This um, child, her, her offspring, would crush his head, but his heel would be bruised. And then we see in, in Genesis 12, God made a covenant with, with Abraham, he promised him a great land and a great people that would descend from him and his own presence. And that through Abraham's offspring, all nations would be blessed. And we kind of see that partially fulfilled in the nation of Israel with, with Moses and then this great king David comes up to the throne. But then prom God promises something even better. God promised King David, this great king, that a king from his descendants would, would come an even greater king, that he would sit on David's throne forever, the perfect king over God's people. And that's the backstory we need to have in our minds when we, when we read verse 8. God says to Jesus, I will keep you, I will make you to be a covenant for the people. All of those promises uh, that I just talked about, well, they find their fulfilment in Jesus. On the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus spoke to his disciples about this new covenant in his blood. And the Apostle Paul writes about um, that all of God's promises find their yes and their amen in Jesus. Uh, 
So Jesus is the one spoken about. He will crush the serpent's head. He destroys the devil's work through his death and resurrection. Jesus is this great king over God's people that was promised to David. And through Jesus, by being united to him by faith, we receive all the promises that God gave to Abraham. So Jesus is leading us to this new heaven and new earth where there'll be a great multitude of people praising God in a renewed earth, in God's presence forever. God says to us, you will be my people and I will be your God. That is what we have to look forward to. Uh, but it's not just a, something for the future. No, that, that wonderful life starts now. Uh, just look at these verses, what, what Jesus offers us. So verse 9, he gives us freedom. He says to the captives, come out, be free. He gives us freedom. He sets us free from our own small stories and uh, sets us free to join in his big story of, of redemption of the whole world. He sets us free from the power of sin in our lives and he sets us free that, so we can join him, free to serve him and praise him. Jesus said, when the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then again in verse 9, Jesus is our provider. He says, they will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. Um, on our journey, we will, on our journey towards heaven, uh, life will be difficult. We'll go through difficult times. But Jesus will give us everything that we need. He teaches us to, to pray to our Heavenly Father to give us our daily bread. And we know that God surely will do that. And Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, will never go thirsty. Jesus is our provider. And then verse 10, we see that Jesus is our protector. Um, he says, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. So are you scared? Are you fearful of life, of what lies ahead? Uh, do you have enemies that are against you? Well, Jesus is there to protect you. He says that he is your refuge and your shield. Whatever happens, you are secure in him. Uh, Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. Um, he says that he lays his life down for his sheep. He will do anything to protect us. He protected us by dying on the cross for us. And he says, I, gi I give you eternal life. You will never perish, and no one will snatch you out of my hand. Jesus is our protector. And then verse 10 again, Jesus is our guide. He leads us um, beside springs of water. You see that at the end of verse 10. So do you sometimes feel lost in life, like you don't know the way? Well, Jesus will be your guide. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he shows us that way through, through his word, the Bible. And he uses his people, the church, to, to help us um, follow that way, to keep us on the right path. So, so keep looking to him and keep meeting with his people. Jesus is our guide. And then look at verses 11 and 12. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, uh, God is bringing people back to himself. And it's completely comprehensive do you notice? Far and near, northwest, southeast, um, all locations. Um, these kind of represented the places where the Israelites had been scattered. 
So God is saying here that he's bringing all of the Israelites back to the land. But I think the implication is far bigger. Uh, We need to remember that Jesus said he came as a light to the nations, to the Gentiles, that God's salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. All nations are included in this. Jesus is rescuing people from all nations. What a great reason to rejoice and sing. But let me just ask at this point, um, are you personally part of this? Do you know Jesus as your king, as your saviour, as your, as your shepherd, as your guide, your way? Are you trusting in him? Um, just look back at verse 8. It says, In the time of my favour, I will answer you, and in the day of salvation, I will help you. Uh, those words in verse 8 were spoke, uh, first spoken to the servant, to Jesus, but now they are spoken to us. Those words are actually quoted in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians by, by Paul. And Paul was urging his readers to be reconciled to God, to put their trust in Jesus' death in their place, so that their relationship with God would be restored. And those words are spoken to us now. You see, one day Jesus will return as our judge, um, and then it will be too late to trust in him. For those who trust in him now, he will return to gather us into his kingdom. But for those who reject him, he will only return as your judge and not your saviour, and you will have to face his judgment against your sin. But now, today, today is the day of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Now is God's favourable time. So today, come to Jesus so that you can enjoy being part of his plan his rescue plan to restore and redeem the whole world. And you can enjoy being in his presence forever. The plan that God has for us is wonderful. So what other response could there possibly be to what we see in verse 13? Verse 13 says, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Well, verse 14 comes like a a shock to the system. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. You see, we doubt God, don't we? Even though he's made these great promises, we, we doubt him, we are faithless. But even though we are faithless, God is faithful. He still comes to us in our weakness and he speaks amazing words of comfort to us. He wants us to know that through Jesus, he is certainly rescuing a people for himself. And that word certainly is the word I want to focus on now. God wants us to know for sure, 100%, that he is doing what he said he's going to do. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. So how can we be sure? How can we be certain? Well, the first thing we see in um, verses 14 to 21 is that God is faithful. God is faithful. So verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? That, That just doesn't happen, does it? You know, we're God's children. He will never forget us 
He will never forget his promises. Uh, just like a mother cares for her children, God will care for us. He will not forget. Uh, and then verse 16 is, is wonderful, isn't it? It says, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. We are engraved on the palms of God's hands. That's a brilliant picture. Um, some people, they put um, you know, tattoos on their hands, on fi- hands or fingers with kind of names of their children or the kind of the birthdays of their children so that whenever they look at their hands, they, they think of their children. And uh, before the age of smartphones, people used to write little notes on their hands uh, to remember what they, they needed to do that day. Well, we are engraved on God's hands. He will never forget us. His promises will surely come true. Uh, And then we have a great promise in verses 17 and 18. God speaks to to Zion, this city. Zion's kind of another word for Jerusalem. And the city had been completely devastated when God's judgment came. But now God is speaking words of comfort to this city. He says, all your children will gather and come to you. The place that was once empty is now filling with people. And then the end of verse 18 is is absolutely beautiful, I think. It says, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on as a bride. And actually, that is now speaking about us. Every person that God saves is an ornament, like a piece of precious jewellery a diamond ring or a gold necklace. Uh, We are beautiful in God's sight, precious to him. And then together as God's people, we are a beautiful bride, uh, ready to meet our saviour, Jesus, face to face. And then it gets even better. The city will be too small for all the people, verse 20. Um, The children born during your bereavement will say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. What a wonderful prayer that would be to pray for Redeemer. How amazing would it be if this room here was too small for all of us? And that's God's mission for us. That's what he's doing. He is using us to fulfill his mission, to bring salvation to Chorlton, to Manchester, and to the ends of the earth, that many people would know him. And that's something to get excited about, to praise God and rejoice. God is faithful. He won't forget. And then we see in verses 22 to 26 that God is in control. And all these promises that God has made, they're wonderful, aren't they? But actually, what good is it if he has no ability to make them happen? Um, We all know people who make promises to us but then never follow through on them. We're slightly sceptical of when people promise things. So we see TV adverts, we see politicians making promises. Um, And whenever someone promises to do something by a certain date, we always kind of take it with a pinch of salt, don't we? Even if they have the desire and will to do it, a lot of the time they don't have the power or the ability to do it. Well, with God, he both has the desire to do it and the means to accomplish it. He has all the means at his disposal to make his promises a reality. And that's what we see in these verses. Uh, Just look back to to verse 11 first. Um, God says, I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. 
And what we see from those verses is that God has all of creation in his hands. He's made everything, and he can do anything with the stuff he has made for his own purposes. He has control. He doesn't just have the power to do it, but he has the authority. Uh, Notice in verse 11, he, he refers to them as my mountains, my highways. They belong to God. All of creation belongs to God, and he can do whatever he wants with them to accomplish his purposes. But it's not just the natural world. No, God also has power and authority over human beings, even the most powerful human beings in the world. And look at verse 22 and 23. Just look at what God is doing. He is in control of all the nations. He beckons the nations and they do his will. He uses kings and queens to bring his people back to his land. And actually, these other nations, they didn't even know what they were doing. They, They weren't on board with God's promises. They were just doing what they thought was best for them, that was politically expedient for them to do. But even though they were doing what they wanted to do, what was right in their own eyes, and often with evil intentions, even though that was the case, God was in control of their every move, and he was using it for his own purposes. He is in complete control over even the greatest human beings in history. And that is still true today. The God that we worship is the sovereign Lord, He is the mighty one of Jacob and the holy one of Israel. He is utterly unique. He's perfect in every way. He is high above the heavens, above all. He created everything. He sustains everything. And he controls everything by his mighty hand. So nothing will get in the way of him fulfilling his promises. Nothing will get in the way of his plan of salvation. And we see that most magnificently, don't we, in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was delivered up to be crucified by those who wanted him gone, who hated him. They wanted to kill him and stop him teaching, stop him making a, a mess of what they thought was their plan. Those who accused him did so because they wanted him dead. But God had a bigger plan. He'd planned Jesus to die uh, for sinners from the start. It was God's plan for Jesus to die, to bear the sins of his people, to die the death they deserved. And God used the evil actions of human beings to save and rescue us when Jesus died on the cross. And then God used his power to raise Jesus from the dead. God is in control. Nothing can get in the way of his plan of salvation. Um, And that's great news for us. So how should we respond? Well, we kind of see it there at the, the end of verse 23. God says, you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. First of all, The way to respond is just to behold what God is doing. Just um, stand in awe of his being, of his plan of salvation, that 
we have the privilege of knowing him. And then we should pursue to, to know him more, to know more about what he's done and, and just who he is. And then we should put our hope in God. See, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. We see here God is um, he's powerful, but he has authority. And he uses all his authority for our good. He says in verse 25, I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. He will ultimately destroy anything that will get in the way of his plan. And that is good news because God's plan is perfect and wonderful. And then what's the end of it all? Verse 26, all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your saviour, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. If you know God as your Lord and saviour, as your redeemer, then you have something to, to sing about, to rejoice in. Through Jesus, God is certainly rescuing a people for himself from all nations. So shout for joy and rejoice because of his love for us. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you so much uh, for your words of comfort to us. Thank you that you're faithful, that you're in control. And Father, we pray that you would help us to get on board with your plan of salvation. Help us to trust in Jesus, to know him more and to delight and rejoice in you.